Life is a highway. And we're going to explain this over the next month. We're going to be looking at how, how, as a Christian, there are certain things that all Christians need to do. And what we try to do is simplify this as much as possible so that you can just look at this, this graphic that we're going to be using. You can uh, remember this whole series. Basically, the Bible says that every Christian needs to do three things, which by extension means every church needs to do three things. Those three things are, first thing that, a, that every Christian needs to do is to love God. Second thing every Christian needs to do is love others. Jesus, when he was asked to boil down everything of the Bible, everything of, of uh, following God, he said, love God, love others. And then the third thing that every Christian needs to do is to have a ministry, serve the world. So our saying is going to be over and over, love God, love others, serve the world. Y'all try that. Love God, love others, serve the world. Ready? Love God, love others, serve the world. That's where we're going with this series, and we're trying to make it as, as simple as possible for you to remember, so you'll be able to see this, this graphic as we get going. Now, when we talk about loving God, as Christians, we are commanded to get together on a regular basis, and that's called church. And so, when we're saying loving God, another word for that is worship. And where do we have the largest gathering, when everybody's not sick, where do we have the largest gathering of people at New Life Community Church on a regular basis for worship? At church, Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. So this is the Love God service. And no matter if you're a Christian or a, a, a non-Christian, someone who's not even sure that God exists, we want you to come to the entry point at New Life Community Church, which is our Sunday morning services. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what we're going to do is uh, put this up here. This Life is a Highway. Here's the graphic that, that we're going to be using. Uh, the first stop on this, or the first thing that we encourage everybody to do, is to take a test drive. Alright, so you're going to see that on there. Test drive. There it is, test drive. Now, here's what that stands for. <clears throat> Every week, what do we do? We look at some issue that all human beings um, struggle with. And then we spend time looking at what God has to say about that issue. And then at the end of the time, we challenge you to try things God's way. And if you'll do things God's way, we believe that you'll be convinced that that is the best way, the only way to live. So we're back, actually saying, come take a test drive. Just test drive the things of God. Test drive New Life Community Church. Test drive Christianity and see if you're not better off in the, in the future than you were before you, um, before you took that test drive. Now, Bruce, we were talking about um, buying cars last week. Bruce is a car salesman, and, and most people come and they take a test drive, right? Everybody's taking a test drive at some time or another, right? When you test drive the car, do you own the car? You will. You will. <laughs> if, you, if you hang out with Bruce long enough, you will own that car. Now, since you don't own it, do you pay insurance on that car? No, if it needs repairs, do you pay for the repairs to that car? No, you don't own it. We're saying you're going to test it out to see if this is the right model for you. And uh, there's going to come a point, though, where you're going to have to make a decision. Because if I go to Bruce and I say, Bruce, can I test drive this car for a year? What's Bruce going to say? Not without payment. <laughs> Not without some type of commitment. He's going to think I'm nuts. And so you get to test, test drive, but eventually you've got to make a choice about whether you are going to buy that, whether you're going to make the commitment or not. 
So what we say is, here at New Life, we want you to come and test drive. We don't think you should ever buy a car without test driving. We don't think you should ever buy into a church without test driving that church for a while to figure out what they're about. But there comes a point where you've got to make a decision and say, this is the place where I want to plug my life in. We believe that as everybody hears the the dangerous message of Jesus Christ, that eventually they're going to say, man, that makes way too much sense. I've tried life my way. Life my way doesn't work. So I'm going to try things God's way, and they'll give their lives to Christ. After you give your life to Christ, the first thing He commands you to do is to be baptized. So we believe folks are going to be baptized. They're going to eventually take class 101. They're going to say, this is the church, the body of Christ, where I want to plug in and do life on a regular basis. So this whole idea of of loving God, this is a test drive, and this is where we want people to come. And so we're going to be encouraging you over the next month to bring friends. This is the entry point. And then we're going to talk about other uh, stops along the way in just a minute. But I want you to get this whole idea down that Sunday mornings is where you are encouraged to love God. This is a party. We throw a party every week for God, and we invite our friends, and we're going to say... We want all of us to take the things that that God teaches us, put those into practice and see if your life isn't better off after you do things God's way. Now, we're going to continue worshiping and singing, and then we'll come back and we'll study some more of this. Let's pray together. Uh, We we question you and we we just picked some of these really quickly. Didn't have a whole lot of time uh, for you to write it and think about it. But here's what you said. Why do you come to church? This one says it's the right thing to do. Anybody ever... Felt that way? It's just the right thing to do? This one says, I enjoy it. Whoever thought you could enjoy church? When I was growing up, the tradition I was in, enjoyment was not the word that I associated with church. And we tried to make, we tried to work really hard for our kids to want to go to church. And my kids love going to church. Uh, there's another one. To teach my kids and then to be with adults. That I, I totally understand um, when we had little ones that they're they're a little bit older now. But when ours were little, Janie would long for someone big to talk to. Sometimes she would just call me because she needed to talk to an adult. I like the atmosphere and the people um, most, especially the sermons. Hey, I paid somebody to do that one. There we go. Um, why do you come for? Yeah, that was mine. Uh, I didn't write one. Kidding. Uh, for fulfillment. Let's see, uh, meet Christians, cool people go here. <laughs> Break from kids, love, love child care, so they love having the kids down in kids' worship. Learn more, get focused for the week. All right, that's good. Uh, my wife wants to. <laughs> Why don't I go to church? My wife wants to. And the last one is to help keep me on the right track. So those are... Do what? I didn't hear. What in the world was that? Okay, I, I don't have any clue what was going on, so we're just going to move on. Um, now, we said that, that life is a highway. Can you put that graphic back up there, Drew? And what we said was that we want people to come to church, but if all you do is you come to this first stop over here, this test drive, if all you do is come to church over and over, then you're missing out on over 66% of the Christian life. When you were a kid and you got a 33 on your paper, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Not a good thing, okay? So if you, if you only come here to the test drive 
And people do this all over the United States. They do it here. If all you do is test drive over and over, and let's say you go ahead and make the commitment. You say, yes, I want to be a part of this church. You're missing out on two-thirds of the Christian life. That makes as much sense to me as if, you know, now I know you NASCAR fans, I know I'm going to get some flags. We're just going to say it up front and then shut up, okay, because we don't care. NASCAR, you go this way, all you do is turn left. But it makes more sense for us to go right. So if you're a NASCAR fan, we're going right, and we're just going to tell you to keep turning right, you know. So just get over it, NASCAR fans. I don't think we have any big ones here, because I've already talked to some of them. Anyway, maybe that's why they didn't come. If all you do is you test drive, makes as much sense as a, as a race car driver coming to this point, starts here, comes to this point, and then just cuts across the grass and comes back to this point. Cuts across the grass and comes back to this point. Or... They, they drive here and they stop at the test drive and they become a speed bump. It's a very dangerous thing in NASCAR. Days of Thunder was on last night. You know, it's a dumb movie. It's just basically Top Gun in a car, you know. <clears throat> and uh, I, all, the only part that I saw last night was the crash, you know, where him and Rowdy Gaines have a crash and they go through this life crisis. It is a bad thing to be a speed bump on the highway of life. So God never designed you to stop here. There's at least two other things that God wants you to do. So the next part on the journey that we're going to encourage you to do, and we'll be looking more at this next week, is to go on a road trip. Anybody like road trips? When I was in college, man, you'd mentioned road trips. People you didn't know were coming to cram into your car just because they wanted to go somewhere. Of course, they didn't want to study. They wanted to party. But what was so fun about the road trip was going with other people. I can't imagine going to the Grand Canyon by myself. Here I am at the Grand Canyon, taking a picture of myself, you know. Because part of the fun is being with my wife when we're somewhere. And I look at her and say, did you see that? If I'm by myself, did you see that? Yes, I did. We got serious problems, you and I. <laughs> There's something going on here that's messed up. If it's just me. The worst problem for me is to go to a conference by myself. I won't go to a conference by myself because it's just no fun to sit there and go, man, that was good. Oh, no one's there. Elbow yourself. Look stupid. People move away from you because they think there's something wrong with you. The worst thing in life to me is to have something great to celebrate and not have anybody that you can call to celebrate. And that's loneliness. Or... To be grieving over something. To have something just eat you up and not have anybody to call. That's no fun either. So what we want to do is in the road trip, this is what we do through small groups. We're going to take road trips through the small groups. Now, figuratively, but if you want to take one literally, as long as you're back on Sundays, I don't care. <clears throat> you take care of your kids and stuff like that. But we're, we take road trips through our small groups. Uh, last week, Janie's grandmother died and I was sick as a dog. So she wouldn't let me go to the, to the funeral. We were going to go stay with some good friends of ours. And he was totally bummed out because when we all stay together, the kids play and he and I go shoot something and he was bummed out. So he went and shot something with somebody else. Janie said, cause I couldn't come, but she wouldn't let me go. I was sick as a dog. I stayed in bed 19 hours a week ago, Friday. And, uh, you know who fixed food for me while I, while Janie was gone? Remember my small group? You know who, who sent Janie a letter saying, we're so sorry about the loss of your grandmother? Remember our small group? 
You know who called to check up on me during the weekend, make sure I was breathing, make sure I would be here to preach? A former member of my small group who I, I work very closely with on a weekly basis. As Sandy Gleason, if it doesn't help to have somebody walk through the storms of life with you. Her mom died. Grandma used to sit right back there. She died a couple of weeks ago and she said the most incredible thing. First words that came out of her mouth after a few days when she was reflecting back on it, she said, I can't believe I came home from the funeral and people from church had food set up. People from church had brought food. And she said, not only did they do that, there was food for all of my out-of-town guests. She said, I didn't have to think anything of it. She said, they stayed and they cleaned my house. And tears were just coming down her cheek by this time. She said, I couldn't believe that. You are going to face tough times in life. It is going to happen. But if you don't choose to get into a small group, don't get mad at God and don't get mad at the church when nobody knows what's going on in your life. We've grown to the point that no one person can know everything about everybody that's going on in the church. I can't do it. I don't even want that job. Because I've seen what it's done to other pastors. And I've seen what it's done to other pastors' families. That's why ministers' kids are so jacked up. Because we are so messed up, we think that it's the minister's job to go and do everything. No! God designed the church where every one of you all are ministers. And if you're doing what you should be doing, if you're in a small group, then you become these little pastors that run around and take care of one another. And that's the way God designed it. So so you're going to have a choice during this series about whether to get involved in a small group. And I can just tell you from experience, I love my small group. That's who I hang out with. That's who I do life with is my small group. And so I'm going to encourage you to get there. And there's a third step. That we believe all Christians should take and all churches should do. That's the pit stop. You know what the pit stop is? Can you imagine the race car drivers if they didn't have the pit crew? Tom Cruise learned this the hard way. Got to rely on the, on the pit crew in Days of Thunder. This is a really stupid movie. I don't know why I keep referencing it. <laughs> the pit crew... That's who fills you back up. That's who fills the car up, does repairs on the car. Because here's the deal. If you come to a service and you are filled up, if, if the music moves your soul and you worship God, somebody has been broken and spilled out so that you can be filled up. That's a spiritual law of the universe. If you get fed, somebody had to be broken and spilled out for you to be fed. If you get something out of the sermon, somebody, whether it's me or somebody else, has done research and study and prayer so that you can be fed. Several of you put on there you like um, having the kids somewhere else. If your kids learn about the love of Christ, there are adults and even some of our teenagers who during the week spend time studying so that your kids can be filled. They are broken and spilled out. And so what we say is, just like we said in the, in the financial series, we spent a whole five weeks on looking at how God deals with stuff. you got a pile of Skittles, i got a pile of Skittles. We all have Skittles and we're supposed to use them. God doesn't bless you financially just for you. God doesn't bless you spiritually just for you either. And never did God intend for you to be a member of a church, member of a small group, and that's it. God wants you to be in service somewhere. So you need to be on a ministry team. 
Our goal is that by May, we have at least two ministry teams. It takes about 20 people downstairs from the moment you come in the parking lot until we finish at noon. It takes about 20 people to run the children's area, all of that stuff. We'd love to have two 20-person teams so that folks that you don't ever see unless you're dropping kids off and, and you drop them off in a particular area, you won't see them unless your kids are that, that age that go in that classroom. So that they can come up here and they can be fed. Because as much as they love being downstairs and doing those things, they love that. They're being broken and spilled out on a weekly basis. And that's a recipe for disaster. You need to, you need to sit to, this is what we're going to say, you need to sit to and serve one. If you're sitting in worship and you're being fed and you're sitting in a small group and you're getting all kinds of fellowship and you're doing life with somebody, God never intended for you to sit on your butt and just get spiritually fat. God expects for us to push away from the table after we've been fed from the word of God, from the bread of life and exercise. And how we exercise is then we serve others. And amazing things happen. When I serve, I begin to look more like Christ. When I serve, I learn things about being like Jesus that I would never learn while I'm sitting still. And then the last thing we're going to say on this whole journey is, if you do these three things, whoo, yay. But the way God designed it was, you come all the way around and then you come back to the starting line and you find somebody else who desperately needs the love of Christ and you serve as a travel guide. To help them come back around. That's how you'll know you're a fully devoted follower of Christ. When you become somebody who's a travel guide, a tour guide, not just a travel agent. They give you the tickets and say, have a good time. A tour guide goes with you on the journey and helps you come around. Does that make sense? That's the way God designed the New Testament church. We do life together. And you may be the most independent person in the world, but you need other folks to help you on this journey of life. Now, let me spend the rest of this time talking about loving God, this test drive thing that we do on Sunday mornings. You have this on your listening guide. God desires relationship, not religion. Love God. We're going to talk about this whole love God thing and why we do this test drive every Sunday morning. Is because God desires a relationship with you, not religion. Let's talk about that for just a minute. From cover to cover of the Bible, your Heavenly Father desires a relationship with you that is not casual or distant um, or even respectful. Ladies, wouldn't that make you swoon if that's how you described your relationship with your spouse? Casual and respectful. Oh, makes the heart go pitter-pat, doesn't it? There's not a soul alive who wants that type of relationship. And God doesn't want that relationship either. God wants to be close with you. In the book of Revelation, God has a series of letters to different churches. And the one that I want to look at today is written to the church at Laodicea. And the message is this. You can be very religious and you can be very respectful and be nowhere close to God. Revelation 3, 15 through 17 says, I know what you do, that you are not hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and do not need anything. Now, I was thinking about this today, that, that this is really appropriate for the United States. Now, we wouldn't say it out loud that I'm rich because <laughs> we'd complain that we need more money. But you think about our country and our country will say, I don't need God. I don't need 
um, what the church has to offer. And to be honest with you, some of the churches I've been in, I would agree with them. You don't need that garbage either. What we need is to be real. And every time I've seen people um, be fed from the word of God, the truth of God's word, I've seen it change their lives. And I'm addicted to life change. That's why we do church the way we do. But think about America. America says, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I do not need anything. And look what God says to America. But you do not know that you are really miserable, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. God doesn't mess around whenever he's given us a word. And when we're honest, we'd have to admit that, you know, maybe life isn't what I try to pretend it is. Maybe there's something better. Now, this is written to, to church people, to Christians, just a few years after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And God's saying to them, I messed up about our relationship because it's nowhere near what I want it to be. You're good people and you go to a good church, but you make me sick because our relationship is not what I want it to be. That's what God is saying. In verse 17, God says, you think things are going well, you good Christian people, you, but you're missing it. What you are chasing will leave you empty. And then if we skip down to verse 20, it tells us what we're missing. Christians are missing it. Non-Christians are really missing it. And it says, Revelation 3.20, here I am. Okay, circle those three words. You have it on your listening guide. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me. Jesus says, I know you're busy. I know you're religious or the new phrase is spiritual. Have you heard this? This is all over TV and over radio. Spiritual. Well, they're a very spiritual being. Which spirit are you talking about? Because it's not the spirit of the risen Christ that you're dealing with most of the time. But anyway, he says, I know that you're very religious or you're very spiritual. But here I am. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the source of all life and blessing and power. You want an encounter with the living God? Here I am and I'm knocking on the door of your church and you're ignoring me. The picture is just remarkable to me. The one we profess to gather to worship is knocking on the door and we don't even realize it. There's a, a Christian leader who said the Holy Spirit could leave most churches and they'd never notice. Because God is knocking on the door and we don't even bother to open. He says, here I am. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. Why would God knock on the door of his own church, his own house? And this sets Christianity apart from every other religious system in the world. God is saying with all of his power, there's one thing he cannot do. He can make us fear him. And, and we've seen that in the, in the Bible. God has done some things where people and, and in fact, in the Old Testament, when Moses was walking around with the children of Israel, there was a time that God came down to Mount Sinai and it said that lightning uh, came and thunder and it shook the mountain. And the people said, oh, Moses, we don't want to see God face to face because we will die. You go talk to him and then come back and tell us what he said. So seeing God face to face is not what they wanted to do in the Old Testament. God has enough power to make you fear him. He's got enough power that he can take things away from. He could make you obey him if he wanted to. But the one thing he cannot make you do is love him. God says, I can give or take anything from you, but I can't make you love me. 
And God is searching for the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve in the beginning. Where he walked with them, where he had fellowship with them on a regular basis. And you know what messed it up? Was sin. When sin entered the world. And sin is something that you and I deal with on a constant basis. It's the relationship he has made a way for through Jesus' death on the cross. Because he can't make us love him. Here's the picture. Jesus is knocking on the door of the church, this gathering of religious people, and he's saying, I want in. I don't want, I don't want to, you know, you just to talk about me. I don't want, you know, you just to say you believe in me. I want you to open the door and hang out with me. Because I will rock your world if you get to know me. That's what Jesus wants. Now, what we've done, Christians and, and all other belief systems, is we've settled for second best. Instead of a relationship based on intimacy, we've opted for religion. And religion reduces everything down to a formula. I do this formula, I get favor with God. Now, in the tradition I grew up in, here's what that formula looked like. Go to church on Sunday morning. I mean, you're just barely even worth being called a Christian. That's why a lot of people look at our church and they say, you don't have Sunday night church, no Wednesday night church. We'll explain that in a minute. Every decent, in, decent Christian in the world would go to church on Sunday morning as a minimum. Sunday night, okay, now you're getting somewhere better. Wednesday night, dude, you're getting close to sainthood. You go to visitation on Tuesday nights and you tell somebody about Jesus, you're going to get your own holiday. Tithe, read your Bible occasionally, pray at meals and at bedtime. And when you sin, pray, oh, God, forgive me of my sins. And you're going to get immortalized in a stained glass window. That's the that's the formula. And if you follow religion to its logical conclusion, do you know what happens? It becomes this deal where I do this formula in order to get God to do for me what I really want him to do. Religion is incredibly selfish. Religion is about me, not about God, not about heaven, not about hell, not about God's power. Certainly not about authority issues like we talked about last November. It's where I do stuff so that these religious rituals and these phrases so that God will be obligated to do for me what I want him to do for me. It's how do I get God to keep me healthy, wealthy and wise and do the same for my family. That's the goal of religion. Me, 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 me. As a parent, it disgusts me when my kids are selfish. That's the quickest way to see the wrath of the Father. It disgusts our Heavenly Father as well when we're selfish. That's religion, the formula. And so, here's the message you got to hear. And this is what we come back to all the time on Sunday mornings. Loving God is not religion, because religion will kill you. Religion will make you and God a stranger. So what do we do? Well, you can apply these three principles to any relationship, but let's look at this love God thing, this worship thing that we talk about, this entry point to a relationship with God. Let's look at this, these three things and apply them to our lives. What does it take to help me get closer to God? Number one, focused attention. Ladies, we go back to you. To make you feel special when your husband gives you focused attention, if you can remember what that was like. There was a time when he gave you that, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't have married him. 
I know some ladies that, never mind, I won't even go there. Um, I get way too much trouble. Focused attention. My wife loves our date times. We, we had to kind of improvise this week. We've been going to Judy's for, for coffee. Well, this week, Alex comes walking up beside us and we're at uh, Herschel's. He's, what are y'all doing? And it's getting some tea. And he looks in, there's no kids in the car. I said, man, this is a modified date because we got kids home sick. So this was it. We go through Herschel's and, and got some tea. But Janie said, I love our dates. You want to know why? Not because I'm special. It's because she gets focused attention and she feels special. It's about her. Too often we focus only on ourselves. Romans 8, 7 says, focusing on yourself is the opposite of focusing on God. <coughs> Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. So focus on yourself, focus on God. You've got to make a choice. The Bible also tells us in Romans 12, too, how to combat selfishness. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Choose where you're going to focus your attention. And your choice is ourselves, the world's values, or God. If you just focus on getting to know God better, He'll take care of making you look more spiritual. Because isn't that why a lot of people go to church? They want to look spiritual. Has nothing to do with getting to know God, but if you'll focus on getting to know God, He'll take care of how you look. And He changes you to look more like Jesus Christ. That happens without your knowledge. Now, at New Life, we believe that not only did God command us to come together on a, on a weekly basis, that's in Hebrews, but we also believe that left to ourselves, we drift away from God, not towards God. That old argument, you know, I can worship God out on the lake. Sure you can, but you don't. Because when you're out on the lake, if you're fishing, you're focused on fishing. If you're skiing, whatever you're doing, you're not worshiping God. So don't even go there with that argument. Focus on God and He'll help you. Because we tend to drift. I mean, that's what happens in a boat. I've had motor go out many times on my boat. And I drift. And where do you end up? Wherever the wind pushes you. And that's what happens spiritually whenever you drift from God. So what we do is we try to have the most creative, relevant times. We've got a Cinderella car on stage today simply to help you remember that life is a highway. We sang the song from Cars for goodness sake, to help you remember that life is a highway. And the kids are so excited, man. They're walking in the parking lot. And I, that's my song. That's my song. Because they know cars <laughs> that watched it so many times makes you want to gag. So we're going to spend all of our time putting on the most relevant service that we can every week. And we're going to encourage people to be here to focus for just a few minutes together on God. Because we're convinced that when we focus on God, that and we figure out what God has done in the past, it's real easy to know how God has dealt with folks in the past. You read the word and we focus on God. And we believe that simply seeing how God dealt with people in the past, it'll apply to our situation. We believe this is crazy. I know we believe that there's a promise of, in Scripture for every problem you will ever face. And so many times we discover that promise as we come together and we celebrate who God is. And I think God likes music that has a beat. <laughs> and if you want to dance a little bit, none of us can dance very well, but that's okay. 
Because worship is not about your neighbor. It's not about you. It's about God. And when we come together and we talk about this love and God thing, we try not to focus on ourselves. We focus on God. We tell him how great he is, who he is, what he's been doing, what he's going to do in the future, his promises. It changes us because we don't have to focus on ourselves anymore. And focusing on God offers some incredible benefits. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, when you focus on yourself, is peace one of the things, one of the benefits of focusing on yourself? Would you describe your spouse as peace filled whenever they're focusing on themselves? No, no, you've got some words, but we cannot use them here without a time of confession. Um. What you get when you focus on yourself is worry, insecurity, anxiety, guilt, fear, disillusionment, right? That's not a list that I I think would be considered benefits. But when you shift your focus to God, peace, security, confidence, gratitude, and love. And so every week, we ask you to test drive what God says. Just try it for a while. And I know atheists that have converted to Christianity, not because the sermon was so good, but because they they started trying these principles. Because they said, you know, I can I can try that in my marriage. And when they did, their marriage got better. I can try that principle in my work. And when they did, their, their work situation got better. And after a while, they said, that pastor can't be that smart to come up with all of this stuff. This must be supernatural. And the writer of this book must be all powerful. I think I'll give my life to him. Try it and see. The second thing you're going to need if you're going to um, grow in your relationship with God or actually any relationship is honesty. (laughs) Honesty. We've been criticized for some of the things that we've done. There are people that are just horrified that we talked about pornography in church. Get over it because it's a real situation and there are people really struggling with pornography. We're, if, if it says it in God's word, if it talks about stuff, we're going to talk about it. There are people that struggle with sex. And, and we're going to have a series on sex in the future. Um, if it's a real human issue, we're going to talk about it. We're going to be honest. And, and did you do you realize that when you're honest in a relationship, your relationship moves to a deeper level very quickly? Um, we can't talk in formulas. We can't pray someone else's prayers. We got to be real. And we got to be honest. If you're mad at God, tell him. If you're jealous, tell him he already knows. If you don't know what to say, go read the book of Psalms. David was so unbelievably honest with God. Mad, sad, glad. Didn't matter. He, he just told God about it. And we have a whole book recorded of the human struggle to do life. If you don't know how to pray, go, go find you a psalm that just speaks. If you're mad, it, there's one in there. And pray that to God. Say, this is it, God. I'm ticked. And be honest with God. Because God's never going to say, really? I didn't know that. I didn't know you were mad at me. I didn't know you were lusting. I didn't know you struggled with pornography. God doesn't say that. God says, man, I'm glad you got that off your chest. 
Now let's do something about it. Because God can't do anything while you're pretending. But when you're honest, God will make huge changes in your life. And when we're honest, that means you get all there is of me. And there's a lot of ugly in me. <laughs> Not just this head. There's a lot of ugly on the inside. And one of the sweetest things to me is when, um, when people outside my wife know the real me and love me. She signed up for it, you know, I gave her the ring, so she has to love me, you know. But you don't. But when you choose to love me for me, that gives me a freedom and gives me actually the opportunity to change. And, and there's nothing like going to a place where people know you, they know your struggles, and they say, I love you. God, that's what people outside the walls desperately need. And when we decide to accept each other, we will have what 99% of the world desperately wants but does not have. Intimacy with another human being. Last thing that you need if you're going to improve your relationship with God or any relationship is commitment. You become what you're committed to. Commitment says, I'm going to harness all of my talents and abilities for your best interests. And you do the same for me. Put two people together who have commitment and you have in intimacy. Or you put a person with God and they say, I'm going to be committed to you, God. You have intimacy with God. And when I know you're committed to my best interests and you know that I'm committed to your best interests, we go to a different level real quickly. When Jesus died on the cross, before your first breath, before your first sin, before your first prayer, he said, I'm going to be more concerned with your spiritual damnation than I'm going to be concerned with my own glory. And I'm going to put my comfort aside because of your dysfunction. He says, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give up the glory of heaven. I'm going to take the very form of a man. I'm going to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. And I'll do it knowing that you might reject me. But you're worth it. Christ said, I'll commit to you knowing you may never commit to me. It's your move. Now, on a scale of one to ten, I want you to think where you are in this love God. Where would you rate yourself in this whole love God thing? Where would a member of your family who knows you well rate your relationship with God? Where would God rate your relationship with God? If you want to get close to God, it takes a choice on your part that you're going to accept what God has done. Then you've got to choose to spend focused, unhurried, unstructured time with God. You've got to choose to be honest and you've got to choose to commit all of your resources, your talents, and your ability for, for the glory of God. And maybe you need to go home and pray some R-rated prayers. And really tell God how you feel. Because you're not ever going to make progress if you don't tell Him how you feel. Try it. Test drive God in this area. And watch what happens in a few weeks. You do this on a consistent basis. You will not be the same person three weeks from now that you are today. All of us go through dry times. Generally, what it takes to get through dry times is commitment. Jane and I will be married 16 years, May 25. It hadn't always been great. But there has never been 
a day that one of us has thought the other was going to leave. So we've had more up times than we've had down times, and it comes back to commitment. I told her I'd give her 50 years, and then we'd renegotiate. So 16, I got another 34 to go. And we laugh about that, but that's, that's really what I meant. It's, you know, we're at least going to do 50 years together as long as God leaves us on this earth. Come hell or high water, we're going to be committed to one another. You do that with God and you watch your relationship take off. Take your registration cards.